Welcome to the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman football podcast. Hello and good evening. You're very welcome to another episode of the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman football podcast. Joining me this evening all the way from Scotland, Finno, how are you doing, buddy? Yeah, not bad. How are you guys? Good. Still in lockdown in Salzburg, Joe? Yeah, all good, though. Thanks, JP. A smiley, Kev. How are you doing? Yeah, feeling very chipper today. Don't know why. Well, maybe we'll get on to that. <laughs> maybe we will. And uh, looking ahead to what's on this week's show, fans are coming back. The return of the fans in the Premier League is imminent. It's happening next month. Uh, Messi and Pep Guardiola. What's going to happen there? Uh, Jose Mourinho and his second season syndromes. And then we're going to have a look at the Premier League games uh, coming up this weekend. And, of course, a glance back at what happened last weekend. So starting with the fans, guys, this is going to make a huge difference to, to teams and, you know, to clubs financially and everything else. And it, it's, yeah, I mean, OK, it's only going to be 4,000 fans. Is that right, Fino? Yeah, so I think 4,000 at, like, the the lowest tier of the restrictions and then 2,000 in the middle tier and none in the, the highest tier. But to be honest... I don't know how you guys feel. I think it's a bit ridiculous. I don't think that they should be making an arbitrary number, you know, 4,000 fans on a 10,000-seater stadium versus 4,000 fans on a 60,000-seater stadium. Which one seems more hazardous? Yeah, I mean, if you've got a stadium like St. James's Park, I've been to quite a few times, 52,000 people, and you could get 4,000 people in there and it's spread out, you know, no problem at all. It's just, I think it's a matter then of... of going through the turnstiles do they, they they have to social distance there how's that going to work out i don't know what's your take joe i think it's really good news that fans will be allowed to go back i know people have been campaigning for a long time to, to make this happen i do agree i think there's still quite a few question marks as to how it's actually going to work like you say actually getting people in and out of the stadium safely where people are going to sit is it is is just one stand going to be open or are they going to be you know positioned all around the stadium but i think in general i'm really looking forward to watching a football match again and hearing some fans singing chanting you know i i just think it's gonna be really good when that moment finally happens will, will they be allowed to sing though i mean that's the question yeah they'll probably i can imagine them putting all these signs up saying no singing no shouting and expecting all these football fans to follow the rules, you know, because we're very law-abiding people. Yeah, and then also, you know, can you hear them properly through those uh, those masks? But, I mean, like a smaller stadium, definitely, Finn, oh, you're right there. It would, wouldn't make it be ridiculous to have 4,000 people in a 10,000-seater stadium. And, you know, with the, the numbers. Also, it's got to, it's got to do with um, the area as well, I assume, right? If you are in a lower tier of lockdown, then, yeah, the more fans can come in. But... When I think of places like London, so this weekend we've got Chelsea playing Tottenham and then the game right after is Arsenal playing at home. So there's three London teams playing in the Premier League, all with the potential to have fans in the stadium. And yet they're going to be coming from all over London to be going to those stadiums. Also, (laughs) what's to stop people going from Manchester down to London? Are there away fans allowed in? Are there home fans? Is it home fans only? I just think there's so many things that we need to think about before we just open the gates into, you know, fans being allowed in. And also it creates an unfair competitive advantage. You know, if you've got London in tier three lockdown with no fans and you're a Burnley going in to the London Stadium or to Tottenham Stadium or whatever, it's considerably easier to do that 
than to go into an Old Trafford that might be in a lower tier, even with 4,000 fans there. Yeah, I think they also have to take in consideration... I, I don't think, for example, away fans should be allowed. I think if, if it's an area that's OK, that's doing all right, and the numbers of COVID are quite low, then, OK, you, you want to keep it that way, so let the home fans in. Away fans are going to bring you know, the more risk of, of more COVID. And also, I think it's got to, they should take into consideration the stadium size. You know, and percentage that way. Because if you have, like I said, Newcastle, 52,000. I don't know what Man City is, Arsenal, Liverpool. Uh, they're all Man United, 50, 60,000. So, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know, 10% or 9% or something like that. And then when it comes to a smaller stadium, i.e. a Burnley or a Southampton, Joe, um, you know, maybe, what, what is what is St Mary's? 32. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, but we'll see what happens anyway. Come on, JP. I mean, this, this, the, the government of the UK have not put a foot wrong when it comes to dealing with the COVID crisis. No one could claim. It's been, honestly, it's been perfection. So, you know, they must have their reasons. I'm sure they've thought it through entirely, and I'm sure it was going to roll out perfectly. No one's going to be in the slightest bit of danger. Just a quick point as well. I think the Premier League is one thing, but there are clubs in the conference and League Two who need the fans in because they simply will not financially survive unless they have some money coming through the gate. So I understand you have to start somewhere because if you wait until everyone's been vaccinated before you allow fans in, we could be waiting another six, eight, ten months to a year. There'll be clubs that are smaller than Premier League clubs that will just disappear. So I think there is a need for it. But yeah, there are some some points that need to be ironed out for sure. I did read somewhere that the FA and the Premier League clubs were um, funding partially some of the football league clubs and sending some money down there. But how long is that going to go on? Who knows? You know. And at the end of the day, the Premier League is football is all about money these days, and we we know that. So, you know, it's sad that those things that you just said there, Joe, could very well happen, and those smaller teams could could just uh, fade away, unfortunately. Okay, lads, moving on. Lionel Messi and Pep Guardiola. Barcelona presidential candidate is a guy called Victor Font. He said he hopes to create, um, convince Messi to stay at the new Camp and he wants to create the right conditions for Pep Guardiola to return. Now, Messi's, was he 33? Uh, I mean, he's a genius. Probably the best player we've seen in our lifetimes of, you know, live. Best player I've seen live anyway, but he's not getting any younger. And I, I just, I think maybe the time for him to move to a Man City could be gone already. And Pep's going to sign a new contract, isn't he, Kev? Yeah, um, or, or has signed. I'm not sure how it is. It was, it was portrayed in the media as a two-year deal. I've read in places that it's actually one year plus, you know, with an option of, of one more, so one plus one. So really, if that's the case, all he's really committed to is to start next season. I still think Messi is, 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 is the greatest. I'm sure he'd be successful in the Premier League. And, uh, and I think probably this is all connected, right? So I think this is a bit of bait. I think this is saying Guardiola's committed, um, Messi, it's safe for you to come. But then again, how long either of them would stay after that, I think, is open to question as well. And do you remember, like, you know, back in the summer, seems like a long time ago now, but one of the things that was speculated upon, you know, quite a lot was whether they might put together some kind of, you know, five-year or 10-year deal for Messi even, whereby he would do two or three years in the Premier League, then go to New York, to Manchester City's New York club, possibly with Guardiola, 
and do like two or three years in New York and then become some kind of, you know, ambassador or something. And thereby they could guarantee him all sorts, untold hundreds of millions of you know dollars over over the course of a five to 10 year contract. So I can still see that happening. I think the idea of Guardiola going back to Barcelona now and Messi staying looks frankly ridiculous. It's an absolute basket case at the moment. I can't see why Guardiola would do that. But I could sort of see someone like him, you know, thinking, yeah, you know, bring Messi over two years in the Premier League and then you know, somewhere like New York, where I think, you know, he'd be sort of pretty happy there, wouldn't he, in his sharp suit, I would have thought, old Pep. They are kind of seen as quite interlinked, especially during the Barcelona times. And the fact that Guardiola hasn't won the Champions League with Man City is definitely something I think that sticks in his throat. Um, And I think he potentially sees Messi as that missing piece of his Man City team. When I think of Barcelona, as you say, they're a basket case of a club. I think they're they're mid-table at best at the moment in La Liga. With Man City, though, it's a very interesting dynamic. You know, if Messi comes in as this kind of saviour, so to speak, how are the, the rest of the players in the Man City squad going to react to that? You know, obviously you've got players like Torres and Rodri, um, Ruben Diaz, all kind of relatively young players, but you also do have some standout players that will kind of have to take a step back and sit in the shadows as Messi comes to the front in terms of a marketing perspective, in terms of a playing perspective as well. I mean, I'd love to see Messi in the Premier League. I still wonder if any club in the world can actually afford him. I just don't see how that how that could be possible. It's, it's a bit of a tricky one, though, because would it be fair to say that both Barcelona and Man City are going through a little bit of a rebuilding phase? Man City, some players went last year like, David Silva, who they're really missing. It seems like one of the main reasons why I think Pep signed the contract was because they're trying to recruit some new players. And it's very hard to do that when they're not sure if the manager's going to stay or going to go. So I think now they've confirmed that he's staying, they can really crack on with the rebuilding job. I mean, having said that, Man City may still win the league this year. We don't know. But I think it's clear there's a, a little bit of work for them to do. And obviously Messi would be a massive help in that if he did come. It's funny, every time Pep is asked about Messi and the move to Man City, he, he always says he believes that Messi should stay at Barcelona. He wishes that he finish his career out there and that he's a one-club man. I mean, you know, whether that's a load of crap or not, who knows. But <laughs> I, I think, I remember watching him in the humiliation coming to the Champions League semi-final last season when Bayern beat them by six or seven, was it? And was it just how easily he was brushed aside and... That electric pace that he had on the turn and five or ten, fifteen yards didn't seem to be there. Now, bear in mind, he's up against the, the machine in Bayern Munich. But he's still a genius, the greatest player ever, I think, that I've seen. But, um, like I said, 33 now. And, you know, if he goes next year, is he too old, Finno? I don't think he's too old. But I also think we have to look at Messi. He's also achieved everything that he could ever dream of at Barcelona. And maybe he just needs a new challenge. You know, that's always been a stick to beat Messi's career with is that he's been a one-club man. He's not done it for Argentina. He's only done it for Barcelona. Um, And maybe this is his way of going, you know what, I can do it in different clubs like Ronaldo has done at, you know, Man United and Juventus. Yeah, and and basically, yeah, a new challenge and a couple of hundred million quid sounds fairly attractive, doesn't it? One point we could make is... um, I always love the story that, so when Argentina are playing on international duty, everyone has their own private room apart from Messi and Sergio Aguero because they're best friends from childhood. And there's lots of reports that Aguero is going to leave Man City at the end of this season and go back to Argentina. So whether Messi would come to Man City without his best friend Aguero, 
who knows? You know, I mean, also, if you're a, if you're an Argentina player, how like okay, obviously Messi's the best player in the world, but you know, it's it's a little bit of favoritism there. Reminds me a couple of years ago, I was actually at um, I was going to watch Ireland playing out in Serbia and Austria. Austria were playing in Moldova. You know, we were all I was obviously flying from Vienna, and I seen the whole Austrian team. There they were. You know, some of the guys that I knew that played for Salzburg and the guy from the TV and the coach, etc., etc. But they always sort of got a picture, and they all got onto the plane. The pilots, everyone, the the uh, the kit man, the manager, everyone. And when everyone was gone, when everyone was on the plane, then David Alaba came last. You know, kind of like the silver star. Even the the police were getting photos and stuff. But yeah, this stuff does go on. Uh, moving on, Jose Mourinho. What, what can you say about Jose? I mean, he's been accused of modern football uh, passing him by. But this season, when stubborn defences are a rarity, the game is standing still for him. And, and you got to say, I, I think Tottenham are going to do something this season. I've been saying it for the last month. month. I think Tottenham are really going to finish. And I watched the game against uh, City. And although City had all the possession, it was a carbon copy, I think, of last season or season before. When City had something like 75% possession, but I think the score was 2-0. And it was very similar here. Kind of a smash and grab. I mean, you know, I thought Spurs looked uh, very dangerous on the break and they deserved to win. Kev? Yeah, I mean, of course they did. I mean, they're just really, I was going to say ruthless, but maybe it's just efficient, isn't it? You know, uh, under Mourinho, when he's got his groove back. And it seems to be, you know, this has been talked about a little bit, but it does seem to be the second season syndrome with Mourinho, doesn't it? It always seems to be the first season, is a, generally speaking, can be a bit slow. The second season is when it all sort of clicks into gear. And then um, and the third seasons are usually pretty disastrous and he doesn't hang on much, much longer than that. But the second season is the one to watch. I mean, they took advantage a little bit of Man City. I thought Man City were really slow, um, really passive, looked really tired. Uh, might be lots of reasons for that. And maybe it goes back to that, cha- you know, that Champions League run that took them all the way into the middle of August. And maybe maybe they are tired. You know, I don't know what it is, but I thought they were pretty unimpressive Man City for all that possession. And and uh, I think, yeah, he's just he was he just took advantage, really, Mourinho. And well done to him. Mourinho's definitely one of these managers who can galvanize a squad of players and his man management is is second to none. I saw a couple of photos of him, I think yesterday or the day before with um, Reguillon and they'd had a bet that they would beat Man City and so Mourinho had to buy him a Hamon Iberico, £500 and you know that sort of thing is definitely going <laughs> to endear himself to to the players and to go back to his kind of his tactics, I think something that's quite interesting this season is how deep he's playing Harry Kane. And so in a team against like Man City where you've got Kyle Walker, he's not going to be able to play on the counter-attack and beat Kyle Walker for pace. But Son and Bergvine definitely can. And so what he does is he plays Harry Kane slightly further back and has Son and Bergvine like off the front of him. And if the centre-back is touched tight to Harry Kane, as they usually are, he leaves acres of space in behind for his wingers to be able to come in. And uh, they definitely made the most of that with uh, with Son's goal early on. He's a very underrated passer of the ball, Harry Kane. An eye for a pass is brilliant. And I've I, I seen that final, yeah, you're dead right. You know, and then he arrives late in the box. And, you know, it's Harry Kane arriving late in the box. I think the system they have set up this season is is brilliant. And then you've got the guys like, Bale and the Brazilian, Brazilian they signed on, on the on the bench, uh, Joe. Yeah, he seems to be really enjoying it, Mourinho, doesn't he? I think when he was at Man United, there was a lot of talkers. You know, has modern football passed 
Mourinho by? Has Guardiola and Klopp, you know, gone above and beyond his level? So he seems to be really enjoying it now to showing, you know, the world that tactically he's still got it. <laughs> and it wouldn't surprise me if Spurs do go on a very strong run this season. Um, and as for Man City... I was amazed when I heard this stat. So after nine games, Brighton have scored three more goals than Man City, which is just remarkable. Wow. And I think Man City are joint on goals with Newcastle, which tells you everything you need to know. That'll be why uh, Troy Dini's <laughs> being linked to a move to Man City. What a strange rumour that is, uh, Finn. I mean, Troy Dini's got to be, what is he, early 30s now? Or who knows, but I'm sure he's playing in the championship, isn't he, with Watford? Nobody nobody took a chance yeah, on him. But- uh, no, I mean, he's he's a talisman for Watford and, uh, you know, he's done really well for them. Went down to meet, he's a penalty taker and stuff, but I don't think he's the calibre of player that Man City are after. I did say last week and the last couple of weeks that Man City need to sign a striker and this guy, Torres, that came in is actually a winger. You know, he's not an out-and-out striker and they don't have anyone, it, you know, that provides a different option than the small, low-gravity ball to feet, Gabriel Jesus or Aguero, who's also getting on. I think somebody else give him a different option. Who who knows? Maybe he could break the bank and go for Holland. Holland's breaking records left, left, right, and centre. You know, Man United really should have signed him. And for, I think he scored four for Dortmund last week. He did, and I think uh, I think I think that that will be that will be the big you know transfer coup you know at the end of the season, especially if, as some rumours have it, that there might be a clause in his contract that he can he can get a move at the end of that first season uh, in Germany. So we'll see. He's got a link to Man City, hasn't he? Because didn't his dad, Alf Ingerhaaland, play for Man City back in the day? Yeah, he did. He did, yeah. He played for Leeds as well. He played for City after Leeds, I think. It was at Man City where Roy Keane broke his leg. Yes, it was, it yeah. Was, yeah. Anyway, guys, moving on to the Premier League. Uh, what's coming up on the weekend? And once again, Newcastle are kicking us off. This time, a little bit of an easier fixture. Although, I'm still not uh, as confident. Crystal Palace away Friday night at uh, 9pm Central European time. Palace versus Newcastle. I mean, John Joe Shelby's still out. Callum Wilson is was a huge loss against Chelsea. Um, just going back to that Chelsea game briefly, I was absolutely furious. Obviously, you know, Newcastle lost. Chelsea were the better team. But the first goal, guys, was an absolute <laughs> joke, really. I mean, the ball comes in from a corner. The Newcastle defender, Fernandez is basically trying trying to guard, basically, put his, his, you know, his face to goal, guard um, Ben Chilwell, who's behind him. And the ball comes out his feet. Chilwell pushes him, which then, you know, domino effect knocks the ball into the net. And Chilwell's run off with this cheeky grin on his face. And VAR is given the goal to, to Chelsea, which is absolutely disgusting. I, I was shouting at the TV. I mean, if I had seen Chilwell, I would have smacked him. You have, you have all my sympathy, uh, JP. I'm not as sure as you are. I'm not certain, you know, that it should have been ruled out. But I, that's the thing. I don't think anyone knows anymore. You know, I think somehow no one knows what's a foul in the box. No one can. No one can tell. It seems the interpretation seems seems to change every two weeks. And um, Danny Baker, the, the the English broadcaster, made a point today on Twitter. I saw. We said that the rules of chess haven't changed in about seven hundred years. The rules of football seems to change every five minutes all the time now. Honestly, I've got no idea what's a pen anymore. What did you reckon, uh, Fiddle? Yeah, I mean, I think VAR definitely has a lot to do with it, and it's more the 
because it's not a steadfast interpretation of the rule, it's still down to the individual VAR referee's interpretation of the rule. Um, I didn't actually get to see the Chelsea-Newcastle game. And to be honest, for this game, Newcastle and Crystal Palace are two teams that I've not really seen an awful lot of. So it's going to be very difficult for me to give a, a decent opinion on. I think it's a good way to, to kick off the Premier League weekend. I think it's a nice, you know, it's got the potential, I think, to be a really good game. Um, you know, depends on how gung-ho both teams want to go to get those three points. I'm going to make a prediction. If Callum Wilson and John Joe Shelby are back, I think Newcastle will have a chance. Uh, if Wilf Saha turns up and plays, I think Palace will win. If not, I'll take a draw, and I think it's going to be a draw. I think I read that Wilf Saha has got COVID, hasn't he? So he, he, he missed the game at, at the weekend. Not sure if he'll be available for Friday or not. But obviously, Palace without... Zahar are a completely different team to Palace with Zahar. He's he's so you know pivotal for them. So I think Newcastle will have a chance in this one as well. I'm going to go for Newcastle to sneak a victory. Okay, Wilf Zahar's got covered. I take it all back. Newcastle win. <laughs> um, <laughs> kicking off things on Saturday at half past one uh, Central European time. Kev Brighton against Liverpool. You were uh, grinning at the start. You're still grinning. Liverpool top of the league with Tottenham. I think you predicted them to, to lose and you predicted Man City to uh, to win as well. So but I think there's a thing called balking. You guys know what balking is? It was an old term I used to when I played pool. And, uh, you know, like if you, you'd be winning, you're going to win the game. But the guy's got four or five balls left and you'll just put your hue down and say, oh, it's over, you've won. You know, putting the pressure on them. It's called balking. That's what Kev's doing here, I think, you know. Anyway, Kev, uh, you surely beat Brighton, yeah? Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, you never know. I mean, you know, injuries are still <laughs> a problem. <laughs> I mean, I always look on the, never look on the bright side. Um, uh, Salah should be back. So, so that should be good. But listen, you know, Brighton, they always looked at the start of the season, didn't they? They looked like they were, they were a bit unlucky. You know, they seem to be playing, they seem to be playing pretty well. And then it didn't really happen for them. But then they've just, you know, they've just nicked a win um, against Villa. Um, it looks like though Tarek Lamptey is going to be suspended, right? Because he was red carded. So I don't see any way around that. And that's a huge loss for them. So the only thing I'd say, um, Adam Lallana is probably going to probably going to score two, but Liverpool will probably win about 4-2, yeah. Well, Lamptey's their only real chance though, isn't he, Joe? I wouldn't, wouldn't say that as such. I saw, um, obviously, Danny Welbeck scored at the weekend for Brighton. So it's got a very... England World Cup 2014 feel about it with Lalana linking up with uh, Welbeck. Um, yeah, Brighton have been playing well this season, but yeah, obviously you'd expect Liverpool with their front three to win the game fairly comfortably. Yeah, I think it should be a good game. You know, Brighton play very decent football. Liverpool also play good football, as we've all seen. I think Jota could potentially be the signing of the summer. I think I read a stat where he's the first player in Liverpool's history to score four goals in his first four home games. So he's hit the ground running at Anfield and he often doesn't start games. You know, to have that firepower coming off of the bench is definitely uh, definitely impressive. And I think as Kev alluded to, there's still an injury crisis. You know, I think they've nearly got a full team out um, at the moment. So... It depends on what Liverpool team turn up on the day. If they're really at it, then I think it could be another Leicester result. If they're a little bit sluggish, I think Brighton will start to sniff blood. Uh, we couldn't go another week here on the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman football podcast without Kev uh, pronouncing the Portuguese Liverpool star. Yeah, so I've got that in the poem at the end. Don't worry, don't worry. It's okay, up. great, great, great. <laughs> Mrs Jota. Uh, just before we move on to Man City Burnley, I'll just tell you a little story about Kev's uh, positivity towards Liverpool. 
when they went 20 points ahead uh, last season, you know, we're talking, me and Kev were talking about football. This wasn't on the podcast, it was actually in the pub. And uh, Kev said, yeah, we, might, we might be all right. I said, you're 21 <laughs> points clear. <laughs> 21 points clear. We might be all right. Uh, that's the mentality of the man. And balking is the word of the week. Uh, man City back in action at home to Burnley. Burnley got their first win of the season when beating Palace 1-0 last night. Um, they'll go with a little, bit, a little bit of confidence to Man City, who are desperate for a win now. Surely, Kev, right? They, they, Man City have got to win this one. I think they need it, yeah. And, and I don't think they'll have too much trouble. I think they won this one 5-0 last year in a sort of classic, one of those classic City performances last year, which we haven't really seen um, this season, have we? Uh, it, it's about time that they, that they turned in one of those. So I think, I think they will. I think um, it's just like like I was saying before, they're just strangely sort of a bit passive and strangely sort of a bit, you know, uninventive at the moment. But maybe it's one of those games where you just need to play a team where you feel like you can turn it on. And uh, I'd be I'd be astonished if they don't win and win handsomely. Yeah. So do you win, lads? I would think so. Yeah. It's quite strange, isn't it? When you click on the Premier League table, you have to scroll down to find Man City, which is extraordinary. Um for Burnley, obviously, you know, like you said, they got the win yesterday, so it will be a complete free hit for them. They'll just, uh, you know, go there. Jay Rodriguez is a massive, massive bonus to have him back for them. But you would think, surely, Man City will have too much for them. Yeah, for me, City win comfortably. And I think if you're a Burnley fan, you're kind of cursing your luck that you get your first win of the season at the weekend and then you try and put a run together and you come up against a bit of a wounded animal in Man City. And I wanted to get your guys' opinion as to whether or not, you know, we've not really heard a lot of um, sacking chat in terms of the managers. Do we think that Sean Dyche is potentially on the, the hottest seat in the Premier League? Um, I'd give him till January. What we can try and do, if, you know, if, he, if he doesn't get a result here, I think he's under a bit of pressure. And we here at the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman Football Podcast will do our utmost best, utmost best to get Sean Dyche on the show next week. Just my two cents worth. I think he's almost unsackable at Burnley for what he's done there in the last eight, eight years. Even if they get relegated, I'm convinced that they'll stick with him because he'll be the best man to bring them back up. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's basically worked miracles on peanuts. You know, he's done a great job and he keeps them up every season. They might have made Europe one of the seasons. They're always like in and around the top 10 and they're so tough to beat, especially away from home. They always do enough and they've got this core of British and Irish players who get stuck in and, you know, typical good old Northern team. But um, this season hasn't hasn't really worked for them. So, you know, uh, Everton versus Leeds. Now, Leeds <laughs> was shocked us all, didn't they? Leeds, Arsenal, nil-nil. We were expecting six, seven, nine, ten goals, but... It was nil-nil again for Leeds against the Arsenal. Um, you know, Everton got the win. Everyone kind of, I suppose, get them have a chance against Fulham. I think I might have backed Fulham here. Calvert-Lewin scores again. Everton back up to the sixth, Kev. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, you know, my predictions are notoriously crap. But I did say that with uh, Everton having their first choice front three back, you know, things would probably click back for them again. And, and I think that's right, you know, right? So, Ricarlison coming back is huge for them. So when they can play that front three, I sort of think they got a chance against against anyone. They should, you know, at home to Leeds, you know, it should be it should be a belter of a game. As we've seen, Bielsa knows how to keep it tight when he wants to keep it tight. And I think and I think there'll be a lot of pressure on Everton to attack and for Leeds to try to hit them on the break. So you know, we've been down this road before, but again, <laughs> can't believe I'm saying this. I reckon there will be a few goals in it this time. The Everton Fulham game at the weekend. 
it was end-to-end stuff. The first half was, you know, breathless. And I think that's something that we saw in the Leeds-Arsenal game. They were quite wasteful in their chances against Arsenal. And so if Everton are quite so open at the back and let Leeds in, I can see Leeds getting a couple of goals, to be honest. As you say, Kev, the forward line were were really good at the weekend. Luca Dina as well was really good um, down that left-hand side. He's quickly turning into one of my favourite players in the Premier League, just his constant motor and a great left foot. I've got Calvert-Lewin to score, but I do think the Leeds are going to score as well. So I think it's probably going to be a 2-1, 3-1 situation. You made a good point there, Fino, about Leeds being a bit wasteful against Arsenal. I think they had 17 or 18 shots. And my one fear for them is it seems if uh, Patrick Bamford doesn't score, I'm not sure where the other goals are coming from at the moment. Um, obviously, if he scores and is playing well, then Leeds seem to play well. But for this one, I think, you know, Calvert-Lewin got two goals at the weekend. So I think Everton may just nick this one. Yeah, I'll go for Everton there as well. I think uh, Kevin picked up there that, uh, you know, the front three are back. Calvert-Lewin scored. Richarlison is, I've seen a lot of him at Watford in the last couple of seasons. He's And Angelotti's got him playing. He's a lot more direct. He, he, he you know, goes in behind all the time. And uh, I fancy Everton to win. I'll go for 3-1. Uh, relegation six-pointer in November at the Hawthorns. West Brom against Sheffield United. Both of them are... West Brom have lost the last three. Sheffield United have lost the last four. Rudis at the bottom of the table. Uh, one point. West Brom have three. Uh, I don't know which way is this one going to go, Finno? Yeah, this is like the... This is like when the title fight is kind of upstaged by the undercard. Saturday night, 8 o'clock in the UK, 9 o'clock Central European time. It seems like that's prime time. And yet we've got West Brom against Sheffield United. I think both teams, as you say, both teams need to win. I don't know if either team will feel like they should lose that game. You know, Sheffield United played well against West Ham. West Brom did relatively well against Man United as well. So they're both coming into it with a little bit of confidence. But I can see this only really being a draw. Okay, Super Sunday. Uh, Joe starts at St. Mary's at 3 o'clock. This is the Central European time. Southampton, very good result against uh, Wolves against Manchester United. I didn't see the Man United game. Um, I did have a complaint over in somebody, not about Liverpool, but a Man United dodgy penalty. And uh, I haven't actually seen it. Maybe you guys can explain what happened. But uh, Joe, you, you got every chance of getting a result in this game, yeah? I certainly hope so. It shows you how far Southampton have come when last night after the match, I was looking at some reaction and I clicked on BBC Sport and the, the headline from the match was Southampton failed to get to third after only drawing with Wolves. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, this is, a, this, is, this is a fantastic result for Southampton who have been fighting relegation for the last three years to go up to Wolves and get a point. And I think what was really promising was that we, we really took the game to them. We kind of had a lot of the ball for the first 60 minutes or so, got the goal, should have made it 2-0. So Theo Walcott scored his first goal for Saints in 15 years, but then missed an absolute sitter. He missed a glorious chance to make it 2-0, which is, you know, standard Theo Walcott. But I think, if we get the 2-0 lead, then we go on and win the game. But um, to be fair, Wolves did have a lot of chances. Our goalkeeper, Alex McCarthy, made some fantastic saves. But the unbeaten run continues. I think we're seven unbeaten now. So we'll go into this game against Man United full of confidence. But Man U always seem to win at St Mary's. Always. Just to clarify, Theo Walcott hasn't scored for Southampton in 15 years. He hasn't played for them in 14 and a half years. Uh, sorry, Theo. <laughs> Um, did you watch the Man United game, uh, Kev? Saw some highlights, and yeah, it was a, it was very messy, wasn't it? I mean, there was the the penalty, you know, first of all given against 
uh, Man United and then rescinded. And then Man United given a penalty for another one of those handballs and Bruno Fernandes able to take it a second time. Probably fair enough. You know, this is the thing. Almost can't continue being bothered by the handball stuff because it's been crazy for so long. I mean, what can you say? I mean, it's a dumb rule. But I suppose it was fair enough. And then when, with the with the, I suppose the goalkeeper was off his line. But with the first one being rescinded, I, I, I don't really understand what was happening there. You know, apparently, you know, the referee decided actually he may have got like a bit of the ball first before the man. Um, I don't. What what can you say? It was Man United have been pretty lucky. I, you know, you'll say I would say this, but I think Man United really have been pretty lucky with penalties this year. They've been probably been a bit better away from home than they have been at home this year. So, as Joe said, you know, probably. Probably they'll do what they always do and probably somehow find a way to win. Probably 3 2 in about the 99th minute. They are on a two game winning run, Man United, and they can jump up to uh, <laughs> up to 16 points with a win. Do you see United win here, Finno? I really don't know what Man United is going to turn out every single week. I think they're there for the taking, especially at St. Mary's. Um, Southampton will want to get back to winning ways, as Joe mentioned, you know, only drawn against Wolves. They would have wanted to have you know continued their their great start to the season you know man for man yes man united are a better team but i think at the moment that's the issue is that they're a bunch of individuals they're not a great team and so when you look at a southampton where they are so well drilled and so together as a unit um it makes for a very interesting matchup yeah i'm gonna go for a southampton win here joe i think you'll win it one nil i mean i would take that all day long but i don't see it unfortunately well you never know uh, Chelsea versus Tottenham, game of the weekend, half past five on Saturday. Now, having watched Chelsea against Newcastle, they, they deserve to win the game. Like I said, the first goal I was furious about, they were lucky. But the defence, they're so vulnerable with, with pace. Sam Maxima was, you know, he caused them so much trouble. And he had a couple of chances and, you know, he had a little back heel there as well in behind the defence. And I think Chelsea are suspect in defence. Tottenham, meanwhile, are turning into the uh, Jose Park, the bus a little bit, and they're very hard to beat now. And they've got these players on the break who will destroy you in Kane and Song and um, the uh, Berger, what's his name? Sorry, Bergwin, is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and also the guys coming off the bench, like Gareth, Gareth Bale and uh, I think it's Vinicius, the, uh, is it the Brazilian. But Tottenham definitely have an embarrassment of riches in attack. I'm, I'm going to go for a Tottenham win there. I think the Tottenham are going to play them on the break and. Uh, I'm going to go 3 2 Tottenham in a cracker. No, I think, you know, Mourinho returning to Stamford Bridge is always an interesting battle, especially when he's going against Lampard. I think, much like the City result, they'll get a positive result, Tottenham, but I don't know whether or not they'll get the win. That being said, you know, at the start of the season, would I have chosen Tottenham to take four points out of six against those two teams? I don't think so. So, you know, they're really starting to ramp up, as you've said. And if they do get all six points, you know, two wins on the trot against two genuine title challengers, that's really laying down a marker for the rest of the pack. Chelsea win for you, Kev, or what do you reckon? I think I'm probably going to go with uh, with Chelsea, yeah. I, I mentioned last week that it was the start of a really difficult run for Tottenham, right? So Tottenham had uh, obviously had the City game last week. They've got this one. After that, it's Arsenal, Palace, Liverpool and Leicester for them. I think if they're top of the league after that, I'd probably say that they're favourites to go on and win it. But I think this is probably the hardest of them all. And I reckon I reckon Chelsea will get something from it. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw. You know, I wouldn't be surprised by almost any results, you know what I mean? But I, don't, I think Tottenham will, fi- will find this a lot harder than they did the Man City game. Joe? This may be a horrible prediction, but I just have the feeling that this game is going to be so much noise in 
in the week building up to it about Mourinho, Lampard, Tottenham, Chelsea. Uh, I think both teams are not going to want to lose more than they're going to want to win. So I just have this feeling that it may be a boring nil-nil. Oh, Joe, please don't uh, don't put that on us. Uh, we hope not. The final game on Saturday evening, quarter past eight, Arsenal at home to Wolves. Both teams who, you know, disappointing results would have hoped to win. Arsenal, of course, true with uh, Leeds and Wolves with Southampton. Arsenal at home, it's hard to know. I'll go for the Arsenal here. I'll go for 1-0 to the Arsenal. Arsenal were really poor, though, against Leeds. You know, I think there were only two shots on target. Um, they've only scored one goal in the Premier League since the start of October. And so I'm starting to wonder whether or not the Arteta honeymoon is kind of over. You know, is he starting to really see the cracks in his team? And does he have the managerial expertise to get them over this, you know, five-game hump, as it were? I think you're right. I think the honeymoon is 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 definitely over. I think Aubameyang has been really out of form, which has been a real, real, a real, real problem for Arsenal. They just, no, they don't seem to be the Arsenal that we knew from a few years ago. The kind of exciting attacking football. So, so I actually think I actually think Wolves are going to win this one. Wolves are very good defensively. They don't give many goals away, and they've always got a chance on the break with Traore and and Jimenez. So I uh, actually predict Wolves are going to win this one and Arsenal's tough spell is going to continue. I think you're probably right. The thing about Arsenal is, no, they, they don't remind you of, of, of playing all that nice football. They remind, they remind me of like the, the really barren years. I, th- I just think they're really boring. Yeah, I think it's interesting, Joe, what, when you mention Aubameyang, because what we're starting to see is a bit of a pattern with Premier League teams in that if they don't have their main striker firing, they seem to really struggle. So you look at Aubameyang at Arsenal, Bamford at Leeds, um, Calvert-Lewin at Everton, they do have strong supporting cast, but they really need that one striker to be firing. And actually, it's Tottenham that are bucking that trend somewhat, and Liverpool to an extent, that have you know a team of goal scorers that are really making the difference. Very good point, uh, Finn. I've seen Callum Wilson out of the Newcastle team at the weekend. I just thought, wow, we've got no chance now. But yeah, you're, you're right. And the likes of Tottenham and Liverpool, even Tottenham, I think, have uh, probably more than Liverpool do. Of course, now there's there's Jota. So, you know, to even it up. But those two definitely stand out. Man City, I think, struggle. You know, with... Uh, okay, if Aguero's out, you got Jesus. But normally one comes on if the other one goes off. That's how they play. I think they someone like Colin would definitely would definitely change things for them. Uh, United depend a lot on Rashford also. Um, it's hard to know at Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea can score goals, but it's keeping them out the other end. It seems to be the issue. Uh, Leicester against Fulham on Monday night. Um, Fulham bottom the league. Did you see anything in the, in the Leicester game? Did anything worry you, Kev, against Liverpool? I didn't see the game. Was the scoreline as as convincing as it suggested for Liverpool? Was it that, was it that easy? It was really. It was a pretty, it was really a comprehensive win, and I think that's obviously mostly it's great homework from Liverpool, who knew how to, um, you know, who knew how to handle the Leicester side. But they were they had an off day. I think to be fair, you know, Harvey Barnes had a decent chance, which could have changed things. But but Leicester really, to be fair, have been up and down all season. It's just that you know everyone else has been inconsistent, so they've managed to do just enough, you know, to get into the position they've been. Um, honestly, uh, they've been up and down. They were they had an off. Day. I think they'll come back. I think they'll be too strong for Fulham and I think that'll be a pretty easy home win. You usually get one quiet game out of Jamie Vardy. You rarely get two. Um, I think Brendan Rodgers will be pretty pissed off at the way that his team performed. You know, him going back to Anfield, he would have expected more from, from his Leicester team. I think if Fulham are to get points, they 
they really need it to be an open-ended game. You know, it needs to be a 3-3 or a 4-4. Um, I can't see them winning. But they're, they're very good at going forward. They definitely caused Everton problems going forward. It's just that they couldn't keep it tight at the back. So I'm expecting goals in this one. Yeah, hopefully it's, it's a 3-3 draw. But if not, then I think Leicester could easily put 3-4-5 past Fulham. Uh, Leicester win, John. I think so. Yeah, I was I was so so disappointed with Leicester at the weekend. Obviously, all the talk beforehand was that they'll never get a better chance to go to Liverpool, to go to Anfield and win. And you know they just folded like like a pack of cards. So I was really disappointed. I was also doubly disappointed because I had Jamie Vardy in my fancy Premier League team, who did me no favours whatsoever. But I'm going to leave him in because I reckon he might get a hat trick this weekend against Fulham. Yeah, I think Leicester will win quite convincingly, actually. Uh, you know, and they'll go back up to the uh, to the top of the league. Back, uh, normal service resumed. West Ham against Villa. Uh, good chance for West Ham. West Ham, of course, won again. And for me, the, the most shocking result of the weekend was Villa losing at home to, to Brighton. And, you know, the Villa that can beat Liverpool 7-1. Sorry, Kev, I love bringing that up. But, you know, to, to lose to Brighton and, the, you know, the, their stars that they have and how they're playing. Uh, West Ham, I'll give you every chance, uh, Fino. Yeah, I'll be happy with a draw. You know, I think West Ham, we're kind of playing with house money a little bit at the moment um, because we've had such a great start to the league. I think we we played traditionally a lot of the top six, top eight sides in the Premier League. And I think I said this at the start of the season, if we can weather that storm, we're in a really good position. And I went back and I, I counted up the, the points. So we're at 14 points at the moment compared to three at this stage last season. So, you know, that 11-point difference is a monumental change in a mentality and in the team. The issue with West Ham is they need Antonio back. You know, Haller is just not cutting it. I know he scored a goal, he scored a good goal at the weekend, but he just doesn't provide the same impetus that an Antonio does going forward for West Ham. And I felt that we laboured a little bit against Sheffield United. Um Luckily for West Ham, it looks like Ross Barkley's going to be out for the game. He has a hamstring injury. That's definitely an issue for them going forward. So I would like to think that West Ham can get three points, um, but I would be happy with a draw. Yeah, I think I think West Ham will win. I think I'll go for, go for a 1-0. I'm going to go for a 1-0 uh, home win for West Ham as well, I think. Yeah, I don't see why not, to be honest. Villa, a bit distracted. Uh, they've had the whole Grealish thing. He's been in trouble a little bit this week with his driving, I think, and then also being linked with Man City as well in some hundred million pound deal or something like that. So yeah, it wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised if Villa had a little dip now. So why not? That's a full house for for West Ham final. Very rare that happens. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that concludes it, guys, and we're we're glad to have the Premier League back. But not also when the Premier League's back, it also means that the lyrical genius Kev is back with one of his poems. <laughs> uh, so he's going to finish us up with this. What what have you got for us this week, Kev? Uh, here we go. Another another special. You get a special prize if you've got any idea where the first line comes from. Not Shakespeare, just to just to uh, just to shout you out there. Anyway, here we go. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we decide we can't believe what happened out there on the field, and every call is fast appealed. Match week nine was rife with this, more VAR taking the piss, but thankfully we also saw some stunning wins plus one fun draw. While Leeds v Arsenal lack finesse, the favourites all enjoyed success. The title battle gathers pace and now looks like a three-horse race. Guardiola v Mourinho left only one man drinking vino as Tottenham moved up to the peak, extending their impressive streak. 
The pass for 1-0, pornographic. After that, it's one-way traffic. But Spurs know how to show resolve as City's magic soon dissolves. Subla Celso strokes a second, and honestly, who would have reckoned City would be so prosaic, passive, slow, and formulaic? Liverpool had injuries, but one of life's great mysteries is how they always seem to boast a better-looking team than most. It's one of life's real paradoxes, and one that flummoxed Brendan's foxes, who came with hopes of surging clear, but took a beating quite severe. Evans heads into his net before a glorious vignette, as Robertson, with nonchalance, curls one onto Jota's bonce. Firmino got a goal at last, as all those negative forecasts were made to look a touch inane. Who'll stop them winning this again? Well, if not Spurs, Chelsea could do it. Pack your defence, they'll steamroll through it. 1-0 thanks to an own goal, turned into a St James's stroll. Was that a push, though, from Chilwell? Honestly, well, who can tell? Decisions now seem so haphazard, just take what happened at Old Trafford. West Brom thought they had a pen, but no, the ref would look again and saw a hint of boot on ball, reversing his own judgment call. The ref proved Solskjaer's good luck charm as later ball struck West Brom arm. And just to be especially nice, Fernandez got to take it twice. Fair enough, and ball's been nuts for ages, but enough's enough. When no one knows what makes a foul, we may as well throw in the towel. For what a tangled web we weave when we decide to disbelieve the evidence of our own eyes and let the cameras decide. Brilliant stuff. Thanks again, guys. Amazing. Kev, um, brilliant, brilliant again. This has been the Irishman, Englishman and Scottsman football podcast. Uh, Kev, thanks a lot, buddy. See you next week. Yeah, pleasure. Looking forward to it already. Joe, best of luck to West Ham. <laughs> thanks a lot, JP. <laughs> All right, Finno. See you later, buddy. Take it easy, man. Cheers. Hope lockdown's not too bad on you guys. No, not Cheers. too bad at all. Uh, hopefully Newcastle get a result on Friday night and kick us off. But uh, thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the games and see you next week.